0: John chapter seventeen this morning. I'm going to read the entirety of the chapter just for the sake of uh, the sake of continuity. John chapter seventeen. This is one prayer that Jesus prays, and it's important for us to see the whole thing, the entirety of it, before us as we as we consider it together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's still a couple on the back table back there. Feel free to pick one up um, as. Uh, uh, as i'm reading this morning uh, and if you don't have a copy of god's word to call your own there are a handful of of copies underneath the uh the offering box in the back feel free to pick one of those up as well that's our gift to you to you this morning as always it's always more enjoyable the sermon you'll find it to be more enjoyable if you have these words in front of you because i'll be referencing them throughout our time our time together and we'll do a little bit of flipping this morning as well John chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given, given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. And not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. In them. We probably don't need to argue that it's a poor parenting strategy to say something to the effect of, to your children, do as I say, not as I do. It's well established that how we act around and towards our children, and even everyone that we come in contact with, it matters just as much as what we say. What we do matters just as much as what we say. What we model for our kids and for others around us is formational. It's always formational. You cannot spend time with a person, even a short amount of time, and not walk away uh, having a little bit of that person rubbed off on you. Last week in our text, at the end of John chapter 16, we saw Jesus command his disciples to pray. If you're looking at your Bible, just turn back uh, just one, maybe a page, maybe not. Maybe it's just on the page right before it. Or maybe it's on the same page as John chapter 17. Jesus tells his disciples to ask whatever they want in his name. He says in verse 23, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And in verse 24, Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Jesus tells the disciples to ask for joy and when we look at that when we looked at that passage last week we were confronted with the reality that oftentimes or it may be the case for us that our joylessness is in fact a result of our prayerlessness. Jesus tells his disciples directly he directs them to pray to ask anything in his name to the father. He tells them to ask for their sorrow to turn to joy. He asks, or he tells them to ask that again, that, they're, that they may see the resurrected Jesus, that they may see him again, even though he has told them that he is going to depart, that he is going away, and it would be granted to them. We see it at the end of John's gospel, and we'll get there. We also similarly are encouraged to pray that we, with the understanding that Jesus has overcome the world. We would ask that we see truth and believe the reality that Jesus. What He says in verse thirty-three in chapter sixteen, "I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart; I have overcome the world." We are encouraged to pray similarly for joy, with the understanding and the realization that Jesus has in fact overcome the world. But when we get to chapter 17 in John's gospel, we see that Jesus doesn't just tell us to pray, but he shows us how to pray. Chapter 17, again, all one prayer. Jesus begins in verse 1 and he ends in verse 26. All one prayer here in John chapter 17. This is the longest recorded prayer that we have that Jesus prays in scripture. And it's oftentimes, if you're looking at the ESV and probably most Bibles, uh, you probably see a heading. That's not an inspired heading, but it is a heading. Uh, it says, the high priestly prayer. It's often referred to as the high priestly prayer. And that's it's called that because of what Jesus is about to do. Jesus is about to be crucified, yes. But though, but through his death, he would offer a once and for all sacrifice for the sins of all who are joined to him by faith. And so the high priest in the Old Testament, the high priest in the Old Testament on the day of atonement would go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle, would go into the Holy Holies of, at the temple, and he would make a sacrifice that would cover the sin of the people, but it was temporary. But through Jesus' sacrifice, what Jesus is about to do in this gospel, what he is about to do by going to the cross and dying the death that those who would be joined to him by faith actually deserved, he was going to cover the sin permanently. Not temporarily, like the high priests in the Old Testament who would go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, but permanently. Jesus is the great high priest. He's the last one. We don't need another one. In Hebrews chapter 7 verses 25 through 27, the author writes, consequently he, this is Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, he has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his, own, for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. Jesus, the work that he's about to do after he prays this prayer, that work is final. It's done. It doesn't need to be done again. All high priests who came before Jesus would need to offer continual sacrifices, but Jesus' sacrifice does not need to be repeated. So Jesus here prays, and why it gets that name, uh, uh, the high priestly prayer, because Jesus prays in anticipation, moving into this high priestly task, this act of sacrifice. This act is for him alone to do. This is one of what we would call the offices or the roles of Jesus Christ. We say that he is king, that he is prophet, and that he is priest. You and I cannot cover our sins, but we are, like Jesus here, invited and even commanded to come before the Father in the name of the Son in prayer. Notice that this prayer that Jesus prays comes right before the most pivotal event in human history. This prayer that Jesus prays comes right before the most pivotal event in human history. What does he do in this moment? He prays. We should obey Jesus because he commands us to pray. And in the name of the Son, we should joyfully go to the Father in prayer because by doing so, we're in fact following Jesus. We're walking as Jesus walked. So there are two things that I want us to consider together that will guide our time together this morning when we look at John chapter 17. And this is more of an overview sermon of the prayer. After the first of the year, we're going to come back and we're going to Tackle or take a couple more weeks in uh, in John 17 and consider more the content of the prayer itself. But this morning, the two things that are going to guide our time together are the setting of Jesus's prayer and then the manner of Jesus's prayer. Again, the setting of Jesus's prayer and the manner of Jesus's prayer. So first, the setting of Jesus's prayer, and I already said it or alluded to it at least, but it can't be lost on us that coming out of chapter 16 it is evident that Jesus is going to die that Jesus knows very clearly and now is communicated very clearly to his disciples that he is about to die Jesus is truly god and truly man 100% and 100% and he is completely like us and is In his humanity, but he is completely other than us in his divinity. What Jesus is going to do, what Jesus is going to go through in the moments that follow his prayer here, is not exactly an everyday experience for us. To know, to walk into a situation where he knows that he's going to be falsely accused and tried and put to death that's not uh even though we are men and women human beings these are not experiences that we have access to every day if you consider what it would be like to know i think we can maybe even just begin to maybe even move into a small percentage of understanding of what jesus might be going through in What he is thinking, um, leading up to his gruesome death, where he would bear the weight of the sin of the world, that's what Jesus is going through here. Luke's gospel, Luke records uh, and tells us that the moments leading up to Jesus' rest, he was in, the word he uses is agony. In verse 44 of Luke 22, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. In chapter 16 again, Jesus had offered great comfort to his disciples, telling them that he has overcome the world and that he had been teaching them in the upper room up until this point. But his agony was great. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 Verse 3 tells us that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. So in this moment, as Jesus is praying this prayer, great sorrow is upon Jesus. And yet in this dark hour, this crushing weight of the understanding of what was about to transpire, Jesus prays. He prays for himself. He prays that the Father would glorify Him because His purpose would be fulfilled when He goes to the cross and through that act, eternal life would be given to all those that the Father had given to Him. He prays that He would be glorified with the glory that was His before He came to earth, indicating to us in verse 5 His eternality that Jesus is not a created being he's not a man who was who did not have a history prior to being conceived like you and I but he existed with the father before the world existed so Jesus prays for himself in verses 1 through 5 and then he prays for his disciples in verses 6 through 19 and then he prays for us. He prays for us. Verses 20 through 26, he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me. For any one of us in this room who is joined to Christ by faith, Jesus, in the words here in John chapter 17, prays for you. Remember, leading up, Again, to chapter 17, the disciples are troubled, sorrowful. And Jesus has told them he is leaving. And again, Jesus commands them to pray so that their sorrow would turn to joy. But again, Jesus doesn't just tell them, he shows them. He shows them exactly how to handle this sorrow and this sadness. And the way to handle these things is in prayer. Brothers and sisters, what is your natural response to to troubling circumstances, or to difficult circumstances, to sad circumstances. When you face troubling or sad circumstances, what is your natural response? We live in an information age, and so oftentimes, I know that my bent, and I know this is probably true for many of you, in an information age, when I face troubling circumstances or sad circumstances, difficulty in my life, I seek more information about the thing that is troubling me. If a loved one is diagnosed with cancer, we may immediately head to Google to better understand the type of cancer and the diagnosis. and Or we may find a friend who is a medical professional and write out a list of questions for that person to ask them. How much time does my loved one have left? What are the chances of beating the cancer? Or in an information age, we might uh, we might be we might be threatened by layoffs at work. So we go to our superiors and ask what departments are going to get hit the hardest. We immediately go online and start looking for job postings in our field of work. But friends, a better understanding is not what is needed when we face troubling or sad circumstances. Maybe that's not you though. Maybe you're driven some different direction when you face these things. Maybe you're driven into isolation. Things are sad. They're hard. You're trouble. You run away. Or maybe you're driven to treat your sadness and sorrow with, with alcohol or with a substance. Maybe you plunge yourself into hours of en- entertainment, binge-watching your favorite television show. Whatever your natural response is to the the reality of difficulty and sad and hard circumstances in your life, Jesus shows us that we, in the face of these troubling circumstances, must respond in prayer to walk as he walked. It's not, it's no, uh, no, uh, It's not hard to understand that Christmas can be a challenging time of year. Because of empty seats around the table, because of uh, weather that has kept your loved ones from being with you, because of broken relationships that might have come unglued over the last several months, the people who are usually here with you may not be. What Jesus says to us here is to go to our Heavenly Father in the name of the Son, and ask that your sorrow would be turned to joy. When you face troubling, sad circumstances, go to the Father in the name of the Son, in order that you might see the resurrected Christ, that your sorrow may be turned to joy. This is the setting of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17. Jesus knows he's going to die. His disciples know that he's going to die. And he goes to the Father in prayer. The second thing for us to consider, though, this morning is the manner of Jesus' prayer. The manner of Jesus' prayer. And by the manner of the prayer, I mean the way in which it is prayed. Jesus prays. I hope that you heard this tone as I read through the, the, the chapter. Jesus prays with confident assurance. He prays with confident assurance notice that this is not does not stand in opposition to what we saw in that simple verse that i read from john or from luke chapter 22 that jesus in agony with sweat like great drops of blood that fall down on the ground jesus still prays with confident assurance it does not cause jesus to waver in his understanding of his relationship with the Father. Jesus knows that his time has come. Again, he will die and accomplish all that he set out to accomplish. He will be raised on the third day and he will ascend to the Father's right hand. And it, the confident assurance that Jesus has in this moment comes from the understanding of the relationship that he has with his Father. It comes from the knowledge that he has perfect fellowship. Perfect unity with the Father. Time and time again throughout John's Gospel, Jesus communicates that he and the Father are in perfect fellowship and in perfect unity with one another, always working as one. I'm going to read several verses from John's Gospel and just listen to these. Listen to how many times Jesus talks about his relationship with the Father and And when these things come to the fore, you'll see just where this confident assurance in this prayer that Jesus prays hours before his death comes from. Chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Chapter 5, verse 17, but Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Chapter 6, verses 45 and 46, It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Chapter 8, verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love Uh, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Chapter 12, verses 49 and 50, For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Chapter 14, verses 8 and 9, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say a, show us the Father? Chapter 14, verse 20. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Chapter 15, verses 9 through 10. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, You will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Chapter 15, verse 23. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Chapter 16, verse 17. So some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us, a little while and you will see me, not see me, and again, a little while and you will see me, and because I am going to the Father. In chapter 16, verse 28, I came from the Father, and I have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. In all of these passages, Jesus is teaching us that he and his Father are in perfect relationship in perfect unity with one another. Jesus and the Father are always working as one. The source of Jesus's confident assurance in his prayer is that he and the Father are in perfect fellowship and perfect unity with one another. You have a relationship with your earthly father and you you may have changed the oil in your car together or you may have built a tree fort when you were a kid. And he might have said, "Keep the f- keep the flashlight Pointed at where I'm working. Or he may have said, Hand me the wrench to your left. No, your other left. And there are so many times, even with our earthly fathers, where we are doing things together and moving towards a similar goal, but we're not in lockstep. We're not exactly doing the exact same thing together. You may have a good relationship with your dad, but it's certainly far from perfect. Jesus, though, has a perfect relationship with the Father. They are in one, they are in perfect unity and fellowship with one another. So when Jesus goes to the Father in prayer here in John chapter 17, know that he is in perfect accord with the Father. There is not one little tiny thing that they're out of sync on. Everything that Jesus has said about his relationship with the Father and all those passages from John's Gospel that I just read, Jesus now puts on display for his disciples, because now he's saying, "I've told you about the relationship that I have with my Father; that we are one; that we're joined together in unity and in fellowship; and that there's that there is complete. We are synced up completely." And then he turns his eyes to heaven, and he prays to the one to whom, with whom he is in full unity perfect harmony. Jesus lifts his eyes to heaven, knowing exactly the one to whom he addresses the prayer. Brothers and sisters, Jesus commands you to pray as he prays. He commands you to pray with confident assurance. Now, you and I are sinful men and women, boys and girls. Everything that we say and everything that we do is tainted, is marred by sin. But here's our hope in this moment. That as Jesus prays with confident assurance in John chapter 17, so he prays right now at the right hand of the Father for you. His perfect relationship, his unity, and the fellowship that he has with the Father are for your benefit. For all who are in Christ, who are joined to him by faith, have God as their father because they have Jesus as their eldest sibling. So he lives to make intercession before you, like that Hebrews passage says. He lives to make intercession before you. And so you can approach the father with confident assurance because you know that when you pray, sinful and tainted as you are, you can have confident assurance that going before the father, your prayers will be heard, understood, And answered because Jesus is the one that intercedes for you as your great high priest. Jesus is praying for you now. Now. Every, every moment you are prayed for, interceded for before the throne of grace. Again, that Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. He has not forgotten you. He will not forget you in the next moment, in the next year, in the next 10, 15, 20 years. He will not forget you a million years into eternity. He will not forget you. He lives eternally to make intercession for you. And Jesus prays here in scripture for you and for me, and he prays for you at the Father's right hand. And you can pray. You can go to the Father, knowing that it is through the Son who is in perfect unity and fellowship with the Father. You can go to your Father, your Heavenly Father, through the Son who is in perfect unity and fellowship with him. Therefore, just as Jesus prayed with confident assurance so you can pray with confident assurance because he is praying for you. He is in perfect unity and fellowship with him. Jesus shows us exactly how he prays for you even right now here in John chapter 17. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is praying for you. All who are joined to Christ by faith are interceded for before the throne of grace. Like I said, after the holidays, we'll take time and spend uh A couple of Sundays unpacking John chapter 17, the content that we see there. But for now, let's just consider a few concluding thoughts. Three things for you this morning. The first is this first, prayer is an act of obedience. Prayer is an act of obedience. Jesus, about to go to the cross, he prays. Jesus is a culmination after. Verse or after chapter 17 is a culmination of all that he's taught his disciples over his ministry here on earth. He prays. Jesus tells his disciples, and he tells us as well in chapter 15, verses 10 through 12, he says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, and then in chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, he says again, truly, truly I say to you, whatever you ask in uh, ask of the Father in my name, He will give it to you. Until now you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. So the question is, how will our joy be full when we abide in the love of God? By keeping the commands to love one another and to ask for joy in the name of the Father or in the name of Jesus. These are acts, friends, of simple obedience. You remember in our time together in Titus, we saw many things that Paul commands, uh, uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Paul commands Titus to teach and then to to make known to the, the people in the churches of Crete. And we talked about simple obedience, seeing the command of Christ and seeking immediately to live into it. These acts of simple obedience, they're radically simple, in fact. We, we want to overcomplicate things. We want to kick the can down the road on our obedience and say, yeah, but I don't quite get it yet. But rather, we see these words of Christ before us this morning. Simple obedience, friends. Sacrificial, committed, humble love for one another. And praying to the Father in the name of the Son for joy. This is what Jesus tells us to do. And there's not a man, woman, boy, or girl in this place this morning who can't immediately apply these things to their lives. You don't need a better understanding. Sacrificial, committed, humble love. For men and women and boys and girls who are in Christ. And going to the Father in the name of the Son and asking for joy. You can do all of those things before you leave this morning. I think that sometimes we expect the Christian life to be more. And I think that we're told this often. We think that it should be explosive. That it should be dynamic. That it should be uh, exciting. But there is no one who can deny what Jesus is actually looking for us to do here in the pages of Scripture love one another, ask for joy. Simple obedience to the command to love one another, obedience to the command. to to pray to the Father in the name of the Son. There is no Christian who is not fully equipped and capable of doing these things. And this should strip away the notion that there are some types of different classes of Christian. Like that there are those who are, um, who, who will go to the deepest, darkest places in the earth, unreached people groups, that there are some type of greater obedience for that individual. Or, That there are people who adopt huge groups of children, of orphans, and that somehow there's a greater measure of obedience for those people. Now, God may lead you to do those things. That's not something that he might not lead you to, but this does not represent greater obedience. Love one another as Christ loved us. Pray to the Father in the name of the Son. If God calls you to those things as an expression of the Obedience to those commands, wonderful, but if he doesn't, know that you can do these simple things where you sit even this morning. Every Christian is commanded to do these simple things, and it is in in obedience that we have joy in full. The second thing I want you to see here is that prayer is an indicator of our relationship with the Father through Jesus. Prayer is an indicator of our relationship with the Father through Jesus. Sometimes Christians start asking the question, or start asking the question: How does prayer actually work? If God knows everything, He's foreordained everything, and then why do we pray? When I pray, is it actually effective? But these questions and other questions like it are not the questions that the Bible, at least here, cares to answer for us. But this passage shows us that prayer is an indicator of the relationship with, we have with the Father through the Son. When you have a relationship with a person, you talk to that person. If you do not speak to or have communication with a, another human being, you don't have a relationship with with that person. You don't have a uh, you if when when you pray, you are actively indicating the relationship that you have with the Father through the Son. Jesus puts that on full display here. When he prays, it is a clear indicator of the perfect unity and the perfect fellowship that he has with the Father. Friends, if you never think to pray, if you never have a desire to pray, you must ask yourself, do I have a relationship with the Father through the Son? If you're here and you're clinging to your sin, leave your sin and come to Christ. Leave your sin and come to Christ. It's the only through Jesus that you can have a relationship with the Father. Jesus says it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one comes into relationship with the Father except through the person Of Jesus Christ. No one has access in any way, shape, or form to the Father except through Jesus Christ. It is through the sacrifice of Jesus that your sin is covered, and it is only through Jesus Christ that you can approach the throne of grace. Prayer is an indicator of our relationship with the Father through Jesus. Finally, an exhortation pray like Jesus prays. Pray like Jesus prays. And again, we'll talk about the content of this chapter after the holidays. But maybe you're uncertain how to pray. Jesus shows us pray with confident assurance. Not because of anything that's in you, not because of the good that resides within you, or the good deeds or the tasks that you accomplished this week, or how productive or effective you are as an individual, or how many kind things you can write down in your Journal that you did. Rather, approach the Father with confident assurance because you know that it is Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father, who lives always to make intercession for you. Ask the question What is Jesus promised in his word? What is Jesus promised in the pages of Scripture? Thank Jesus for the promise. And thank him that in him it is fulfilled. Or you can pray if you're not sure what to do. Pray for joy like Jesus commands here in these verses. The joy of seeing the resurrected Christ. Knowing confidently that he is now at the Father's right hand. Or like Jesus does here, pray for others. Pray, Jesus prays for his disciples and he prays for us here. He doesn't just say, as we're so prone to do, bless so-and-so. But he prays for holiness and perseverance. And that the Father's will would be done in them. Take note of the things that Jesus prays here. And continue to use that as a model for your own prayer for others. And if you're still at a loss, if you're still like, I'm not quite sure how to do this. Jesus gives you the words. The disciples asked him the question directly: "Teach us to pray." And in Matthew six nine through thirteen, Jesus says, "Pray like this: Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us not our or forgive us our debts, as as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation." but deliver us from evil. Simply pray that prayer. The words of Jesus, simply pray those. The words that Jesus tells his disciples to pray. And when you're praying, when you're praying those words that Jesus told his disciples to pray, remember, Jesus Christ lives always to make intercession for you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the realities of the, w- the words that come to us here in John chapter 17. That Jesus, in the most pivotal moment in human history, prayed. God, cause that not to be lost on us this week as we go from this place. Because for most of us in this room, there is there are a million things to get done before next weekend family coming into town, cleaning, cooking, baking, um, the work that needs to get done so that you can take a little bit of a break so that you can come back to it later. All of the things that are on our plates, God. God, we see in troubling and sad circumstances, great sorrow that's upon Jesus and upon his disciples, he prays. God, let us not in this time forget the relationship that we have with you through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us not neglect prayer in this season. God, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.